I'm on. Good morning, everybody, and welcome. Hi, Sue. Good morning. <laughs> we just I mean, started. Talk about an intro. <laughs> yes, you were invited. Absolutely, absolutely. We're delighted everybody is here this morning. Um, it's a little different morning. Greg is in South Carolina yep. in Myrtle Beach, still at the Grace Conference, and so I get to um, do the roundtable with everybody this week, which I'm very excited to do. Before we do that. Oh, good. The Snyders are here, too. Hooray. Hooray, hooray. Um, let me just run through the announcements for the week. No men's Bible study tomorrow, obviously, because Greg won't be here. Um, we will be doing Wednesday night Bible study at our house at 630. And if you um, can't be there in person, obviously, uh, we do it on Zoom as well. And so you can Zoom in and uh, join people from all over the country and all over the world who are part of that study. Actually, we have generally twice as many people online with us as we do in person. So, uh, and everybody gets to participate in that. And then um, next week, we'll do the Sunday morning Bible study. We'll be back to our normal schedule with 9 o'clock in the older children's room for morning Bible study. And if you have any questions or need any information, all of the stuff is on the website about the Bible studies. And let's see, oh, let me tell you, if you haven't watched Greg's message from this week from the conference, mm. you all need to go watch that. It's um, it's on YouTube and it's on Best Facebook. Ever. Yeah. Both. The message is titled Walking in Light. And uh, all the other speakers um, are on Facebook as well under Jeremiah Johnson Ministries. Jeremiah has um, graciously posted all of the speakers on uh, on his Facebook page, so you can go in and you can listen to him. But I want to tell you, Greg was incredible. And the message was on the woman caught in adultery, which we've all heard that message a number of times, but it was so powerful. I, I think people's heads were exploding as he went through that. And there was more scripture and more revelation of truth in that one hour, I think, than most average believers get in a year. Honestly, it was just or absolutely, absolutely awesome. Yeah, or in a lifetime, depending on where they go. Um, so uh, I highly recommend you go back and look at that because it was it was fabulous. And, and then as off as always, if you um, would like to make an offering, we have the baskets in the back, or you can make an offering online. And with that, I think we're ready to go. Let's pray. Father, we just bless you and thank you for this day. Thank you for an opportunity. Uh, to gather together freely. We just lift up Greg and all of the speakers and all the folks at the conference. Pray, Father, for that fellowship, that it would just be sweet, that you just pour out your spirit upon each and every one of them, and that as they wrap things up today and people travel home, that you keep them safe, uh, Lord, and that they would not leave without having seen you and having something about you just planted in their heart, something special, Lord. We pray for our time here this morning as we go back and look at Galatians again and some more. And we pray for all of our folks who are online and all the folks who are here, Lord. We just love them and thank you that we have this opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So, um, we're going to go back and take a look at Galatians again. And actually, I thought, you know, I, to be honest, I never realized how or understood how people could say, man, I've spent like six months studying this one verse. Or I spent a whole year in the book of whatever, right? But I'm coming to understand that that's really possible because I'm still working on Galatians 1 through 5, which is what we did two or three weeks ago. <laughs> so we're going to go back and pick up that a little bit. 
and um, and then we'll continue through and we'll get as far as we get. And if we get all the way through, that's great. And if we only get to verse seven or eight, that's fine too. And so uh, for folks online, um, our sweet Becky is, is back there manning the computer. If you have questions or if you want to contribute, uh, if you have a comment, uh, Becky's going to moderate that and she's um, will interrupt and say so-and-so wants to know or so-and-so says this. Uh, so feel free to contribute in that regard. Um, and so it's not like you're not part of this. And as I said last time we did this, um, this is not a monologue. I like conversation and it's much more enjoyable for all of us if everybody contributes and everybody has comments that they can they can pitch in on. So um, with that, if you have a Bible or if you have your phone or whatever you have, we're going to go to Galatians. And um, we're going to actually start um, going through verse by verse and we're going to start back with verse 1 and 2. And if you remember, Galatia is not a specific um, area or a specific city, but it's an area in Turkey, in central Turkey. Um, and Paul had made uh, a visit to a number of the cities there. And um, was this was one of the first books that Paul, they think that Paul wrote. Sometime between 47, 51, or 52 AD uh, is when they've targeted when, when the book of Galatians was written. And the purpose that Paul wrote, wrote the book was, and we'll talk about this a lot more, was to come against the Judaizers, those who were bringing a message of, of mixed mixture of grace and works, or grace and law. Not to come against the people. Not to come against the people, to, to come, come against, against the message. The message of Ex the people. Excellent point. Excellent point. So if you would, let me read um, verses 1 and 2, and this is King James. Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren who are with me unto the churches of Galatia. So here um, we, start, we see, even in verse 1, Paul starts to defend his apostleship against the Judaizers. He starts to, you know, his, his comment that he's an apostle, not of men nor by man but by Jesus Christ. So his apostleship was a direct revelation unto him or a direct appointment unto him um, from Christ. And in verse 2, it says, and all the brethren which are with me. So Paul didn't write this letter alone, right? We don't know who wrote it with him, but it was kind of like all of us sitting around here and Paul's sitting there with his pen and he's dictating or, you know, he's got a scribe to help him out. He says, so what do you think we should tell these folks, right? Here's what's happening. And getting input and feedback and getting yes and amen as he dictates the letter. I just thought that's a really cool picture to paint in your brain of, of the Apostle Paul sitting in a room, and we don't know who it with, was with, but obviously people of great spiritual maturity, in my mind, um, to write the book. Um, that just is a cool thought, that, it, that he gets input through the Holy Spirit from all of these folks uh, while he's writing while he's writing that book. Um, so again, he's he's reiterating that his apostleship is not from man, but directly from Christ. Because one of the things the Judaizers were doing, not only attacking his message, but they were attacking him personally. We'll talk about that more as we get into other verses as we go along here. Um, so any any thoughts or questions um, on verses one and two? Now we're on camera, so y'all. <laughs> no, no, okay, that's good. All right, so let's look at verse three. 
right? Grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. So why, why do you think Paul uses that greeting? What is it that he's trying to say? I spent, I'll tell you honestly, I spent probably two, three hours just working on verse three. Mm. It's so cool. Because I went back through and look, Paul uses that very same greeting that he does in Galatians. He uses that same greeting in Romans, First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, First and Second Thessalonians, First and Second Timothy, and Titus and Philemon. Philemon. He uses it 13 times, almost identical um, in the first, uh, until he gets to Timothy and, and Titus. It's grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Exact same words in Romans and all the other epistles. When he gets down to t Timothy, he says, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord, as he's talking to Timothy and to Titus. He uses mercy, adds mercy in there. Um, but Paul's not the only one who does that. Peter also has a very similar great greeting in 1 Peter, where he says, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. And then in 2 Peter, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. And then John, in 1 John, says, Grace be with you, mercy and peace, from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. And then, even in the last book of the Bible, John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace, from him which is, and which was, and which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne. So Paul is a very... His greeting is very intentional, and he, he was, uses he it. He was the mouthpiece of grace. Yeah, you bet. <laughs> <laughs> That's and the an most excellent hated. way to, yeah, right? He had a very definite purpose and a definite intention and an expectation when he wrote those words that people would understand certain things. So what I, what I think is that his objective in writing it to the Galatians was to have them understand that they have access to grace through faith, right? And that we can we can apply that also to all of the other ones. But but it's grace and peace. So a lot of times we uh, normalize scriptures based on our current setting, right? Yes. So I saw this film where this during incredible persecution of Christians they were painting that the sky was thin. Oh, why was I born 20 years earlier? I could have lived and died a Christian. And of course, <laughs> they were torturing people. If you were renunciate Christ, go home, live your life. But if you would not renunciate Christ, they would torture and eventually die. And so, what are these times for these people? These are trying times. We can guess. We can get by that slice of Japanese history. So, uh, grace and peace. Well, they were probably, you know, when I think of an American, 
carry my cross, I think, ah, overeating, uh, something stupid. <laughs> but I think that when it was spoken, it was meant in dire times. There were dire times. Right. What's analogy to something, you know? Uh, carry my cross, you know, my color blindness or something. As far as, but I think grace and peace, if you think of the times these people were in, they were probably the most dire times. Yeah. And of things they needed, they needed grace and peace. As many of them went off and were destroyed in the Bible. You, you know, just one theory. That's all we're doing, right? We're just spitballing things that might resonate. Yeah, you know? right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very good. Very good. So if I asked you all to define grace, I have a definition written down from that I came up with. What? How would you all define what grace is? The divine influence on the heart of man that causes us to believe what God truly thinks of us. Yeah, this Holy Spirit, like that was almost word for word exactly what my <laughs> was. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. That was very, very good. Anybody else have any other thoughts about what? There, it, that's, I mean, don't put it in the box. I think there are, is more to it in many cases. Oh, yeah. But we, that's certainly we, the foundation that, of it. That said, it is the answer. So what does peace mean? We're going to get there. We're going to get to peace. Let's, let's finish grace first. <laughs> Do you want to repeat what Jim said in case someone didn't hear so it? So let me say it's the influence. The influential power of God on the heart of people through the resurrected Jesus unto a fruitful life, unto our believing we are a new creation, which isn't exactly what he said, but very, very, very close to that. And I think that gives us, there's an equity in our quality of life between God and us when we're living in grace, which is a challenging thought for many people that you, you say that you have equity with God in anything, that generally, because we've been taught that we're worms, that generally causes people some cognitive dissonance. It's a but squirm. It, huh? <laughs> it's a squirm. It's a squirm, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And I think the other thing that, that comes from grace is being able to effortlessly bear the fruit of the Spirit um, in our lives, to have that manifest effortlessly. Yes, sir. And it's something that God does. It's not something that we conjure up. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's the divine influence. Right. Yeah, That's it, what's cool about verse 3 is he says, grace be to you. And then when you wrap up the real definition of what that is, that's really, really cool to think about. It is. And James says, um, it is the grace is the perfect law of liberty. Right. 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 Um, not, not, the, the the doer of the word, but of the spirit of the word, the perfect law of liberty. Right. And I think that all like like uh, Jim said. I mean, our hearts desire that. Right. Have always wanted that. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And I think one of the interesting things is is that the definition that Jim had and the one that I even spoke is so more full of life than the standard. God's riches at Christ's expense, which is what I was originally taught what grace was, right? That, you know, you just G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I know. Yeah, That's right. You cringe, right? Oh, no. right. Isn't that the truth? I thought that was your definition of when you just spelled that out. I was like, ow. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> acronym. Yeah, no. That's, that's not a pleasant thing. I've, I've rejected that. <laughs> but that's what I was originally taught. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Well, and then, and then you got to look at the carnal definition um, of grace. And that's totally opposite from <laughs> the definition. It's just a favor of God, definition. right? They say it's just. Well, when you, you think about when somebody says, you know, I'm going to show you grace. <laughs> it's like, I'm going to overlook all your issues. <laughs> and yeah. I'm just going to love you anyway. Right. Gosh, yeah. that's horrible. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. <clears throat> right. Yeah, when you, I, I love the, the idea of the di- divine influence on the heart of man. Mm. We don't have anything to do there. Right. right. We just Beautiful. make ourselves available for God to influence our hearts. And then let that influence manifest however he wants to manifest. What was part of it, Jim? To, so we see ourselves and others the way God the sees us? The divine influence on the heart of man. Hang on. <laughs> <laughs> we can rewind this play about yeah. later. Yeah. I think you said something about so that it we can see ourselves. To believe it what causes. God truly thinks of him. Yes. yes. Right. It causes us to believe what God truly yes. thinks of, and what does He think of? See, we're His kids. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And He ain't gonna leave us. We're not orphans. Right. Yeah. Right. He tells me that I'm His favorite. <laughs> <laughs> me too. What a what a coincidence. <laughs> disciples I think thought that Jesus was their favorite. Yeah. Don't you? Yeah. Yeah. Except Judas. And justifiably so. <laughs> huh. I told my grandkids that. Yeah, I do too, right? I told my girls, you're my favorite blue eyed blonde. You know, you're my favorite brunette. You're <laughs> one little distinguishing there, but they're all favorites. Right? Yes indeed. In Colossians one six, the Passion Translation says this. This is the wonderful message that is being spread everywhere, powerfully changing hearts throughout the earth, just like it has changed you. Every believer of this good news, here's the key point, bears the fruit of eternal life as they experience the reality of God's grace. I love that last part. Bears the fruit of eternal life as they experience the reality of God's grace. It's not enough just to know God's grace, right? I mean, have that head knowledge, but what the Passion Translation says is that they experience the reality of God's grace, that your heart is actually, you know your heart's been influenced by God, right? You know the Holy Spirit is working in your life doing something, and the fruit that is born of that is eternal life. That, I absolutely love that, and in particular, the difference between you know, having head knowledge and having the experiential um, reality of God's grace. Any thoughts on that? Okay, Glenn, word of peace. Yes, I'm, I'm honest. What's meaning? I don't know what it means as far as in in the sense of uh, here. I wasn't being sarcastic. I was truly no, no, curious. sure, yeah, I no, was inquiring. it's good. Yeah, okay, grace and peace. peace right. So it well. it seems. One theory is that it's not a passive thing because something being imbued uh, upon us, perhaps, 
It, again, we're just talking here. Mm-hmm. I have no agenda, really, except to be with my lovely wife. And the beauty of, of grace is beautiful. I don't know about the beauty of peace and what that represents. So, okay. uh, well, you know. I think that when we experience the grace of God, the divine influence on our heart, it puts our heart at rest. Mm-hmm. And I think re- for me, that's what peace is. Mm-hmm. I'm at rest. Right, right. The, the mm-hmm. definition that we've used before is that um, peace is to be made one with God, uh, to be in harmony with God, and to be in harmony with all people. I'll let that just sink in a little bit. To be one with God, to be at harmony with God, and also to be at harmony with all people. Now you consider who Paul is writing to, not just in this book, but in many of the epistles that he's written. He's writing to churches where there's conflict. Obviously, that's why he's writing the letters, right? To deal with the with the conflict. And many times, that conflict is a result of, of differences between people groups, Jews and Gentiles, mm-hmm. being the primary one that jumps out at you, um, but also men and women. When you look at at, uh, at Corinthians, and and so um, when he's when he's passing grace and peace to them, he's wanting them to understand. His intention is that they would realize that because of grace, they are now one with God and have harmony with Him. But not just with God, but also with their brothers and sisters in their in their church, right? Because um, that's not always easy, <laughs> as we well know. And it's as, it's applicable today when you consider um, the challenges now that face us with black and white, gender identity, male and female. I mean, it's like written to today. To have peace today is as important as it was in Paul's time. So that's that's part of my idea of peace. I I just have you know you hear about the churches, the people, the Christians being killed in China and Africa, and and all this going on, COVID, and and businesses are falling, and and oh, what's going to happen? And right. you know, China just doubled the size of their military. Why? What's going on with that? And Russia is building their military. What's going? And so some of my friends are so anxious. You know about what's going on um it's almost you know when we talk it's like oh, don't you care billy right yeah it's not that i don't care you know it's just i know i know deep in my heart my dad has a world in his hand you know and the mountain could fall on me and it ain't gonna kill me right i i think that's part of the piece i yeah. mean we really do live in uh i look at our kids they're so they go 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 and they're so anxious and Oh, how they do it. Yeah. That's not rest to me. No. <laughs> or me. Go ahead. If I could piggyback on what Jim is, is representing in the term grace, that it's something that's God-given. I mean, this peace, this harmony with men is being God-given in the sense that, uh, well, like Jesus, you know, they forgive them. They know I'm going to forgive you. You know, not your typical you know, uh, human Christians, right, but the divine intervention. And I think at times something will happen. I look back at my response and say, you know, I thought I was doing great with God. But that's the evidence that I'm not doing as well as I thought I was. Because how I responded 
So it's the idea, again, going with this grace idea, that this peace can be something that's just provided by God mm -hmm. as far as something that's supernatural, above and beyond. Uh, does that make any sense? Or is it up towards mm -hmm. No? Well, it may not be that we're doing okay with God, but to know that God's okay with us. But the point I was making was that this peace is something that's supernatural. So I can be thinking I'm flowing in the supernatural. Something come up that a supernatural response could have come out. But I see myself as something different. I look back on that and try to think, hmm. So with the idea that peace means something that's supernatural, does that make sense? We all know we can respond naturally as best we can, but right. being a supernatural thing. Yeah. Yeah. See, I was taught that when you do goof up, God's going, write it down. <laughs> right. <laughs> Not true. No. Yeah, there's no big screen review at the end of the, at the, end of the road <laughs> for any of us. <laughs> at the same time, it can be a, uh, like a litmus test. You know, the paper either turns yeah. pink mm -hmm. to blue or blue to pink. It's like, but, huh, I didn't think it turned that color. So, <laughs> not that I would judge myself, but the idea that I can look back there and, hmm, I thought I was all groovy with God, but I can see it's, maybe it's just Glenn trying to do his best and fool himself, <laughs> you know, as far as yeah. what's going on. Yeah. That's for me, and, and, and I can relate to what you're saying, because at that point when we have a reaction that is not a fruit of the Spirit, um, we immediately, we judge ourselves. That's what we do. We go, oh, that, that was not pleasant or that was not loving or, or whatever the case may be. When I find that happening, because it's going to continue to happen, I am in the flesh and I live in a fallen world. Um, instead of thinking about it to the point where I'm now very emotional or feeling guilt and shame, I immediately say, what was that? God, where, where did, where in my heart did that come from? And, and just talk with him about it because I have to talk to someone about it or else I'm going to internalize it and I'm going to sit on it and hang on to it and it's going to manifest some other things. Um, it, I've just accepted that my response is out of the pain and the lies that I've believed and so, therefore, I have to take it to the only person who can remove the hurt and the lies from my heart. Sure. Yeah. That's excellent. Yep. That's very good. Mm -hmm. That's good. Yeah. Um, if you go back to First Colossians 6 again, that we bear the fruit of eternal life as we experience the reality of grace. In, in many ways, peace is part of that fruit. Um, and I think Greg has done a fabulous job of keeping us focused on eternal life during very turbulent times over the past year, year and a half. Mm -hmm. And that focus on eternal life brings peace. Mm -hmm. It brings us to unity with God. It, it helps us to understand um, his thoughts. It helps us to understand our true identity. And it helps us to understand how to respond to those things that go on around us and within us, right? And it, eternal life disesteems everything of the world. It does. It disesteems everything of the world. Um, and so that, to me, is one of the fruit, being in eternal life and having understanding of eternal life results in me having peace and being able to have that harmony and not be 
overwhelmed by all of the stuff that goes on around us. You know, all of those things that cause the anxiety, cause the tension, and cause the worry. To, to dwell in eternal life and to know that that's mine irrevocably brings great peace to my soul. And so, again, I think that's part of Paul's intention, his purpose in that greeting, is to bring those thoughts and ideas, not just to the Galatians, and, but to everybody he writes an epistle to, and to each one of us as we read those things. That, you know, I, as I've read the beginning of all of those books, you know, grace and peace unto you. Boom, just keep right on rolling right by that, right? Well, this yeah. time I stopped and I went back and I said, well, what is going on? Why, why does Paul use those specific words in the opening within the first four or five verses of almost every single epistle that he writes? And if you stop and think about it, it's pretty powerful. Did they understand the definition? What? No, I'm saying back in the biblical days when he's speaking to the church, did they really understand the true definition of what grace and peace was? I don't know. I suspect some of them did. Some of well, them are you asking Jim because he yeah. just kind of looks that age? <laughs> <laughs> he said that. <laughs> no, let me, let me clarify. <laughs> studied the Bible, <laughs> no matter what age you are. Thank you. I'm, I'm just sorry, wondering. <laughs> he couldn't help it. If, I mean, because our, our, our uh, I guess because of the many interpretations and the carnal um, definitions and understandings of words that are really not what were intended biblically and from God, specifically, I'm just wondering if they really understood the magnitude of what those Terms well, not only do they not understand then, they don't understand now. Obviously, we don't understand now. We're still stumbling over the same thing. Right. As well right. as I remember, there were some who did. Which is why I just made it over and over. I guess my, my view on that is if. If those who were taught by Paul, who obviously had an incredible view of what the grace of God was, mm -hmm. if, if they taught and they learned and had that experiential knowledge of what grace was, I think that they would know what he was telling them. I think that actually the early church probably had a much better view of grace and peace than we do because of all the perversion and the distortion of the scriptures over the time since, since Paul was writing this. So I, I think they probably had a better foundation and a better understanding of what was really going on, even though they were, you know, significantly challenged by the Judaizers in almost every case. I think they still, they still knew what was, what he was talking about. They still knew what the promise of God was, eternal life. They still knew that there was a huge, you know, complete opposite between peace and grace and law, that they were, they were tremendous difference between those two. I think, J.J., I think that even those who, who murdered every apostle in their heart of hearts, they knew, whoa, they have something. Yeah. They know, you know, that, right. yeah. I was just thinking, um, how many times, I, we're all here laughing and enjoying, like, you weren't allowed to do that. 
You had to be holy and pious. That's right. Right? And, you know, when we're enjoying ourselves and each other, grace. Heaven forbid that you sit around and you take input from everybody <laughs> no. in the congregation. I know. It's beautiful. Right. I'm thinking about how grace and peace are related because if you truly understand God's grace, then it automatically brings you the peace. Mm. Yeah. They go hand in hand. Yes. And when you don't understand God's grace and how, you know, he he looks at me as his favorite mm. and that he thinks that who I am is good, then you don't have any peace. Because for years and years and years, I, I was sure that he wasn't pleased with me because the way I saw, the way I thought he saw me wasn't the truth. Mm. And when I came to learn how he really does see me, which is part of grace, mm. you know, knowing myself as he knows me, then the peace came like that. Mm. And it never left. Amen. Yeah, I'd like to pile on to this conversation. Please do. Um, I am so thankful, Glenn, that you brought this up because it, it never really occurred to me before till listening to people talk, and now my brain, feel I feel like it's exploding. <laughs> <laughs> so many cylinders, you know? But um, what I want to share is several several things in the Scriptures not by naming the scriptures, but the stories. Yeah. And the first thought I had was that without knowing that you're God's favorite, and we all are, Yes. without knowing that, we could never really have peace. Mm -hmm. And where that led me to was right back in Genesis, where you have Cain and Abel, and clearly Abel had peace. Clearly, Cain did not. And Cain was trying to gain his acceptance from God through his own works, mm -hmm. which would never bring him peace because he still believed the only way he could be accepted by God was what he did yeah. to demonstrate his commitment to God. Mm -hmm. And even when God came and said, you know, you've been doing the best you can, but it's not what we're looking for. Let me give you what you need so you can give it back, and then you'll know. Yeah. And he refused to do that. So he never knew. And even even after he killed his brother, and he just knew that God was going to take him out, or somebody would, God had a conversation with him and said, I'm going to protect you. I love you, and I'm going to protect you. What happened, happened, and it's not great. But I'm not going to leave you to the world to be killed. So I'm going to put a mark on you so everybody knows, leave Cain alone. Mm. I've put the mark on you so you know that I'm supporting you. And in that, Cain had the opportunity to get peace. He could have settled in with accepting the peace of knowing that God was protecting him and taking care of him. But did he do that? No, he ran away and built some big cities and yep, right. did his own thing. Yeah. So he never really re received the peace that God was trying to give him. God's trying to give all of us the peace. Mm. And until we come to that place where we know that he loves us and he cares for us and he's given us already eternal life, mm. 
through Jesus Christ, you're not going to have peace. So peace is part and parcel and the connective tissue between God and us and us believing what he's telling us. Instead of what Satan told Adam and Eve that they could not trust him. And that broke that connective tissue. And they couldn't receive peace. And you'll see that over and over again. I mean, it, God was showing me, take the worst guy in the Bible, Nebuchadnezzar. He was a mean, nasty dude. <laughs> All right? He, he did horrible things to Daniel and his friends. And so much so, he, I mean, he took them and threw them in the fire. Yeah. Going to burn them all up. We all know that story. Right. Okay. But did they find peace in the fire? Absolutely. Why would they find peace in the fire? Because they believed God loved them. Yes. And he would protect them. And even if the fire took them out, they were going to be with God eternally. And they knew that. And you can go down through the Bible and see this time and time again, these these situations where people did things in their own strength. Right. A lot of rulers yep. did things in their own strength, believing that that was going to give them peace. I'm going to defeat the armies of Israel. Right. Who said that? I have no idea. <laughs> Big guy. Oh, Goliath. There you go. Goliath said, look at my armor, look at my size, look at, I got all these big brothers too. I mean, we are going to kick butt today, right? Mm -hmm. Did he find peace? Was he at peace when he said all that? No, he was totally devoid of peace. And you can just, again, you can just march down through the Bible, all these people who thought they had a grip on what was important in this world. Right. And yet the words explains how they didn't find peace. Right. None of them. Right. So that's my two cents. Absolutely. And that, that comes with that connection to God of knowing that he is connected with you eternally, yes. no matter what you do. Right. When the accuser comes and accuses us and we don't have peace, John says, who told you so? <laughs> right. Exactly. Who told right. you that? Yeah. Hmm. Wow. Thank Larry, you. beautifully spoken and much appreciated. Yeah. Yes. Can I ask you something else? Yes. Um, from Pacquiao. He says, his greeting speaks to the heart of God. We acknowledge the Father, the Son, and our fellowship with him through his spirit by his influence on our hearts, moving towards peace, love, and concluding business. Oh, very good. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. Yes, mm -hmm. absolutely. Thank you. Wow, there's someone in South Africa with us. <laughs> cool. <laughs> Greetings from South Africa. <laughs> wow. wow. Hello, Germany. Hello, Germany. Hello, Germany. Yes, it, was, it was interesting. Larry, Larry touched on a, a point that I was going to wrap up this verse with, and that's what is the opposite of grace and peace, mm -hmm. right? And you start to think of, of what that is and the turmoil and the separation and those things that are the opposite of that. And um, in Hebrew or Romans eleven six, it says, and if by grace, then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. 
but is it, but if it is of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. Basically, if it's works, it's not grace, right? Right. And if it's not grace, you're not going to have peace well, with it. And in my mind, as soon as you said that, because you know when I first um, started coming to church here, I didn't understand the definition of works and laboring and toiling, all of that was very foreign to me. But then to hear exactly what you just said, if you if you have grace, you understand <laughs> the influence of God's heart, you're not working. You're not trying to prove who you are to God because you already know. And so it really does go hand in hand. Right. Really goes hand in hand. Right. <clears throat> it's like your heart and your head connecting. Yes. <laughs> That's a wonderful thing. <laughs> and if you don't have that peace, you have judgment. You begin to judge. Yeah. Not just others, Not but just yourself. Others, but yourself. Yeah. Well, exactly. It starts with ourselves. That's right. Exactly. Okay, any other thoughts on verse 3? Because we'll try then to move on to verse 4. We've been here like, <laughs> I don't think we're going to make it through five verses. No. <laughs> I like to comment on Cindy's comment. Okay. I love Cindy. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> <laughs> Thank what a coincidence. We all do. <laughs> so um, you had mentioned earlier Second Peter 1, um, 2, Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Yes. So the grace and peace is tied into knowing what God thinks of us and having that knowledge of God. And then someone said earlier, you know, the, the Christian church as a whole still doesn't get grace and peace. Right. Well, that's tied into they still don't know the truth about God. Right. And if they knew the truth about God and who he was and his opinion of us, then they would be able to have the grace and the peace, yeah. right? right? So the, the missing link is really knowing who God is as a father and what mm -hmm. he does think of us. So most of the Christian churches taught grace as unmerited favor. Right. Which goes back to you're a worm. He's just being nice to you. Mm -hmm. You know, so if that's your concept of who God is, it's really hard <coughs> to be at peace and yeah. to receive the grace, yeah. you know, and the knowledge of him. So it's just so messed up, uh, just our views of who God is, that we're not able to. And that's why we are so blessed in this church, because uh, what's happened is we've been retaught the truth of who God really is and who we really are. Right. And I personally have witnessed the grace and the peace being born in people yeah. as a result, and it is wonderful, mm -hmm. because we've all wanted it, but it evades you when you're... Um, your knowledge of who God is and who you are is messed up. Right. It will evade you with that. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Go, go back to, we haven't talked about it in a long time, but, but Greg used to use the analogy of paintings mm -hmm. and the painting of, you know, God and who, and the correct painting yeah. as opposed to the other painting that the serpent paints of who God is. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, we get those two confused with the painting of God. Yes. Exactly what you said. To but that's interesting. What the verse says, "It's multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God." Right. You know, so that's where it comes from when you understand who God is. Right. You understand who you are. Yeah. <laughs> it goes, uh, in my mind, it goes with what I started out with—that you could spend 
a year studying a single verse or a single chapter or a single verse or you know single book because you're multiplying the knowledge of God as you're spending that time in the Word and with the Word, you know, digging in and learning from that. That's why I had so much fun just doing the first five verses all over again, you know, it's like there was so much more. I love your notes, the way that you printed out, by the way, he sent this to you in the inbox. Um, every verse that starts with that is interesting because you can fill it out and learn more you know, from how right. it's addressed. I, those, I will post those notes on the um, website. I sent them to Sue and Denise and Greg. Oh, I thought they went to everybody. No. <laughs> okay. That for, for your women's Bible study, if you want to use them Thank for the you. women's Bible study and for the package that you're putting together. They're wonderful. So, um, but I will definitely post them. They're good. They're uh, make them available to everybody because they're awesome. Um, well, let's try verse four. There's, there's a few things in verse 4 we can talk about, too. So verse 4 says, um, well, let's go back and we'll pick it up in 3. Grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. So in my mind, there's a couple of key words in this verse, right? See if, see if you think that they're the same words that I think, and then we'll talk about what they are. I think one, the first key word there that we want to talk about is sin or sins. And then we'll talk about deliver. And we talked about rescue and deliver last time we talked yeah. about this. I'm still chewing on that one. Man, I love that. <laughs> um, we'll, we'll talk about present evil world, and then we'll talk about will of God. Yeah, we won't get to verse 5. <laughs> <laughs> Not if we want to go to lunch. <laughs> yeah, that's right. yeah, right. Maybe dinner, but not lunch. Right. So how, how do you all define sin? Because I think this is one of the... Yeah. I will tell you from my personal experience in other Bible studies, the understanding of what sin truly is is the roadblock that prevents understanding of the Scriptures. Right. Yeah, amen. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And it was one of those revelations, one of those... Moments in in my spiritual walk when I truly understood what sin is. So, anybody want to throw out what they? What? Not knowing who you are. Okay. Not knowing who God is. Okay. <laughs> Unbelief. Un yes, absolutely. Believing on yourself for your own life. Ah, right. Relying on your own effort to bring to bring life. Right. Um, if you go to Thayer's, Thayer says that sin is to miss the mark to not partake in or not have a share in. So that could then bring the next logical question to your brain. What's the mark? What am I sharing in and what am I partaking in mm -hmm. that I'm missing or that I haven't got, mm -hmm. right? We've talked about it. It's eternal life, eternal life. Yes. right? So the mark is eternal life. To miss the mark is to miss eternal life. And when you start understanding sin in that context, to me, that really brings the scriptures to life. Because then so many things make sense in that regard. Um, although none of them come to my brain right at this moment. It's just one of those things where when I understood that it was not my bad behavior that was being talked about, but that it was missing the mark of eternal life and the and those things that caused me to miss that mark, that just that just made 
whole lot more sense. And that is beautiful because, from my recollection, sin is an archer's term. Of course, missing <laughs> missing the mark. the mark, right? But yeah. I've never questioned. Well, what is the mark that you're missing? I knew it was missing the mark as an archery. Mm -hmm. That is not a big secret. As far as, but what is the mark that was missed is is so important. Yes. Right. Yeah, you put your Elmer Fudd right. <laughs> But all, there's also one other thing that I tripped on as I was doing the study. So it's also talks of our inability or our weakness to live as the true representative of God. And let me put two verses together that kind of sews that up. Romans 5, 6. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly, yet without strength. And in Romans 5, 8, but God commended his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So you see the connection between those two verses, yet without strength and while we were yet sinners. So we can say Jesus gave himself for the weakness that we have in the flesh in that it cannot produce the immortal, incorruptible life of God in us. That to me was really... Uh, kind of a light bulb moment to identify it helped me I don't know how to how to say this to identify that I have a weakness that my body my flesh can't bring forth eternal life I can't feel bad about that right I, I don't feel <laughs> I don't feel condemned by something like that it's it, it's just not possible there's nothing in this world that's, that that can bring forth eternal life so why should I think that I and my strength can bring forth eternal life? And and to see that, well, okay, that's a weakness. That's just I just don't have that ability. It's an inability to do that. That that brought me back to peace again because now I'm not worried about I'm not worried about bad behavior for one thing, right? But I'm not worried about the fact that I can't do it, right? Because God's taking care of that. It's kind of odd, and me having been an atheist before I was a Christian, it, it's funny, only now that I think about it, it's a perfect atheist frame set. You miss the mark, and the mark is your behavior, so you just aim better to get a better life, otherwise known as there is no God. It's nothing to do with the living God. It's perfectly, it suits perfectly the religious definition of sin, and of course, it's definitely missing the mark in Hebrew and Greek as far as archery, not brain science, as far as, um, but that the mark would be better behavior. Well, that's just exactly alignment with being an atheist. Sure. It's nothing at all to do with any God that lives, nothing to do with any living God at all. Yeah. So much of cultural Christianity is practicing. Uh, Atheism. Mm -hmm. Whoa. <laughs> wow. Ooh, we might make some people mad with that one. <laughs> but uh, Jay and I, we had the luxury of going through these series when we were completely delusional <laughs> as far as living Christ. <laughs> Growing kids God's way. Amen. Yeah. We can only figure out how to tweak this universe. <laughs> you know, we're going to be fine and forget needing God. We'll just exercise these principles and these levers and these buttons. God has nothing to do with it. Right. Mm -hmm.
Indeed. And is that not what the Christian bookstores are full of? Yeah. Here's the formula of yeah. how you can do this, how yes. you can do that. Yes. You can achieve this. Yes. And all it, it's unbelievable how mm. it's all formulas of how we can achieve it. Yeah. I think one of, the, one of the wise people in this room said that it's death management. Yeah. It's death management. I'm very, uh, I don't waste anything. I mean, uh, I, I keep ridiculous stuff. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, I will throw away some bad letters. <laughs> I don't want nowhere to get their hands on I've, I've, I've burned a few books recently. Yep. Yeah, I was going to take mine to Goodwill, and then I thought, you know, I can't do that. No. Because right. someone else will get a hold of it, and they'll be as screwed up as I was when I was reading it. So, yeah, they went in the trash. I'm with you, Mike. <laughs> we do We do the contrary. We do, we do I, I leave the Purpose Driven Life book on the table so people will see it and ask about it. Oh. Now, let me tell you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Uh, I just got through putting my whole library in a dumpster. Oh, <laughs> wow. It's painful, isn't it? It is well, and it is. One that was a relief. Yeah. <laughs> uh, How many books do you think you threw away? A bunch. I don't know. Several. <laughs> several loads. Uh, so there's no condemnation for no for bad behavior because we have a weakness in our flesh that cannot provide us with eternal life. Mm. God is trying to be perfect in weakness. Yes, yes indeed. Yes. Yes. Indeed. There's a good sign, Cindy. Yes. Well, I couldn't hear what he said. There's a good sign right there. Tell you what he said. Yeah. There's no condemnation for our for our bad behavior because we have a right. weakness. I was trying to. I was referring to what Mike said. Well, I said God's strength is made perfect in weakness. That's right. right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's right. a good sign too. Yeah. That's right. Well, we've learned how to connect all the dots. So <laughs> you could go back and say, well, there is no bad behavior. You could go back. Yes, and right. Look at the tree of right you know, good and evil. And I mean, it, it just all really just goes back to the beginning of Genesis, which is so beautiful to really unwind. But a lot of people, they, they just are stuck on that one word. Right. Not like we get stuck on one verse. They're stuck on that one word. Right. So I, I've learned something. We'll talk about the next word, deliver. I learned something while I was studying this. If you go back to the definition of deliver, you'll, you'll love this. Yeah. You'll love this. It's to choose out for oneself. Mm. So Christ has chosen us out for himself mm. in delivering us mm. unto himself. Hallelujah. That was, that was good. Beautiful. That was good, right? Mm. He delivered us. He chose, him, he chose us for himself so that we would not be part of the present evil world. So when did the present evil world start? With the fall of Adam, right? With the introduction of the belief system that says, I can do it in my own strength, right? Um, sin actually has made part of, made us part of the present evil age or the present evil earth world. If you're a believer, your sin has been taken care of. You're no longer part of that present evil world. You've been delivered from it, which I think is, is totally awesome. Hallelujah. And then... The last thing about this verse is God's will. And um, you know, I think a lot of people, there's, you know, you talk about the books in the bookstore, in the Christian bookstore, there's probably multiple copies of mm -hmm. different books that talk about what God's will is. But God's will is really pretty straightforward, right? It's, that we would live and not die. That we would live and not die. Mm. Man, I had like a whole page and you put it in two words. <laughs> <laughs> okay, on to the next verse. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, I got to read that. <laughs> to, to that point, it, would, it is with a small, minor bit of distress when I hear people tag, you know, God's will, God told me, based on a certain combination of adrenaline and serotonin. <laughs> it bars, I'd much rather just live in the, the truth of the living Christ rather than uh, be dependent or mistaken about is that level of adrenaline, dopamine, and serotonin in God or something else. I'd rather just live in the truth and fullness of the living Christ. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But there is a balance. He said that we will hear his voice and he will lead us. Those are my two. Yes. Right. But it does, it, the point he's got, it's never um, mistake-proof. And my wife has to always say, well, it's wrong, but he made a good point, you know. There it is. It's the voice of God. <laughs> Even though I disagree. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to read what I wrote for God's will, <laughs> even though yours yours was spectacular. Thank you. <laughs> it's for us to have an incorruptible. You got to put some of these big words in. Yeah, right? I don't know as many big words as you do. Right. <laughs> to have an incorruptible, immortal life. To walk with God as His friend forever. To effortlessly manifest the quality of God's life through the fruit of the Holy Spirit, or the fruit of the Spirit that the life and light of God might shine through us and impact all around us. Yeah. Yours, was, yours was good, though. I liked yours better. I think they'll m remember mine. <laughs> <laughs> Some of us need a little bit more detail. Yeah, I like, I like what he read. I just won't be right. able to remember right. it. Okay, so let's, let's try verse 5. To whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So, giving glory to God. The opposite of that is giving glory to man and to have confidence in the flesh and to live by the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and try to avoid what's bad and try to do what's good, right? But here we're saying glory to God because of what Paul has written above in the previous four verses, which are very, very powerful. Um, in Paul's writings, he has a tendency to give you chunks, little nuggets of information, and then maybe run off on a rabbit trail a little bit and then come back and then pick up another nugget and then another rabbit trail. These first five verses are kind of like one of those nuggets that Paul's given us just to chew on. We've chewed on it for two weeks, and we're still, I mean, we could probably do it a third week and come back and, and do, do it some more. Um, but let's try to do one more verse <laughs> just so we can say we went past five. <laughs> so in verse 6 he starts and says I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel oh. mm. so this is the crux of the problem um, and the foundation of the letter that Paul is writing to the Galatians right? and we can really start to see as we go from here on, how Paul is just so completely intertwined with the gospel that he's bringing forth, that anybody that challenges that gospel or tells folks that what Paul said is not right, um, is basically could even be in his mind looked at as an, as an affront or a challenge against who he is. He is so passionate 
about bringing the gospel, the true gospel, mm. that when someone brings other than the true gospel, it's a very personal issue for him, and he's very passionate about that. And it, you can see it in, in Galatians, but you can also see it in his other epistles um, that he's written, that he just, it breaks his heart when churches that he founded on grace turn back to a mixture of grace and law. And it makes sense because it is so easy, I can speak for myself, to be shipwrecked, to sort of have half-truths and half-faults. And it, it rings true, but you, you know what I'm saying? It's so yeah, easy yeah. to be shipwrecked as a person is what I would say. Right, right. And so here's, he begins now the comparison of the true gospel of grace with man's gospel that the Judaizers are bringing. And we talked about that um, the last time we met, a little bit about who the Judaizers were and what they wanted. They were Jews, obviously, who came into believers and said, well, what Paul said is okay, but you really need to add circumcision. You need to add obeying the law, but not the whole law. There's just a couple of chunks of the law that we need to obey. So you got you to do that. And when you've done all of those things, then God will be happy with you and you'll have eternal life. So obviously, to our ears, that's like you know nails on a chalkboard with someone who would say that. Paul had founded the church in Galatia or the churches in Galatia like within a five-year period before this, you know, before they were already in trouble with the Judaizers bringing a message and um, a message that's false, a message of man's doctrine, a man's view of the world as opposed to God's view of the world. So it's, I think, in, in some ways reassuring or a familiar thought to us that when we see others struggle with grace and law back and forth, it's not it's not an uncommon thing. It happened in the you know in the first century churches. That it happens now, two thousand years later, shouldn't surprise us at all. But Paul now starts the comparison between those two gospels, one that he calls an other gospel that is not a gospel at all, right? In what he's talking about. He uses the word removed in verse 6. I marvel that you are so soon removed. Removed, the def if you look up the definition, is one of the definitions is to transfer or transpose two things, taking one that is there and replacing it with another. Yeah. So I thought, that's interesting. The English word removed, we just think, ah, you know, taken away. But in Greek, it's a very much more powerful word in that they're, removing one thing and transposing it or replacing it with another thing. So they're taking the true gospel and pulling it out and replacing it with the gospel of man, the gospel that Judaizers are bringing. So when you read that now, you have a little bit more, more depth and understanding of that. Anything in verse 6, anything else that you want to, we should chat about? Anything online, Becky? Uh, yes. Shelly wants to know what makes us a believer. What makes us a believer? <laughs> the divine influence. <laughs> yeah, there you go. The divine influence on our heart. <laughs> That's good. Any other thoughts about that? Yes, Glenn. I personally believe it. Really, because I mentioned before, I was 
and an atheist. And the only reason I could file stuff is just mentally excited to find the contradictions in the Bible and other Christians' places to my hatred. As far as, um, so what's in the Bible? It's all groovy. I have my own agenda, and I was, everything is great as far as my atheist journey. And this fit in perfectly as far as, because uh, I want to establish like, instead of church outlets, like these atheist outlets, like why couldn't there be as many or more atheist structures than there are these silly churches? And so I was really getting stoked as far as, uh, and then this guy asked me, uh, do you want to give your life to Christ? And my first thought was, you know, that's the dumbest question I've ever heard. As far as, but then out of my mouth, concerning grace, a God came the word yes. <laughs> and so I prayed, and it was Looney Tunes. What I said after I prayed was something crazy, like a praise God. I mean, it was the, the strangest thing in the world. And so I do fully embrace is the movement of God just from my own experience. Amen. Does that make any sense? Yes. Right. And it's a, and it's a wonderful story. I think that it it touches our hearts to realize that it's not, it's not, you know, it is the influence of God on our hearts. How else could that bring you to say yes to something that you thought was a ludicrous statement, right? Oh, absolutely. And so I, I maybe some people would categorically, categorically reject what I believe, but I've lived it. So I can't deny right. it. I, I just, it's impossible because I, I lived it. Yes. You know, right. Yeah. I was thinking about, how my testimony goes so perfectly with the Judaizers because when I first got saved, I was so free and so alive. I literally wanted to run up and down the streets just shouting hallelujah. Mm. You know, I was free. I was saved. I was just new. Amen. But so soon after that, I was told, now that you're saved, here's what you must do. <laughs> And the list got so long and got to be such a heavy burden, just like the Judaizers were saying, you know, you must get circumcised, you must follow the law and all this. And so what started out as, wow, I'm free, I'm saved, so quickly became a heavy burden that I couldn't bear. And then finding grace in the true gospel, I did a total flip. And it's like, wow, I'm saved and I'm free again. But that in between, those in between years, 35 for me, ooh, they weren't good. Yeah. So it's not Jesus plus anything. It's just Jesus. Amen. 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 Well, Amen. To, to answer the question that Becky read to us, uh, John said, as many as received him and believed in him, to them he gave the right to be known as children of God. Right. Not born of the flesh or of a husband's will, but born of the spirit. So for that person's asking that question, you're hearing the gospel right now. So the question is, do you want to receive it? Believe it? Right. Go ahead. Right. Okay. Amen. Save it as free. Mm -hmm. yeah. Amen. I'd right. like to uh, share something less uh, about the two Gospels. Um, last week I went to visit a friend that had been in a game on a scale of 1 to 10 at 8 for like 8 years. Wow. 
uh, recently went through surgery, trying to make it better, didn't make it a bit better, and um, she couldn't hardly move, right? So I went to see her, and she's laying on the couch, and she she just tears up and starts crying, and I go, tell me what, what you're thinking. And she said, I know that God is so disappointed in me because mm -hmm. I'm not doing anything the right. way I want to for years. I said, um, so if you had a child that was disabled and wasn't able to do anything but was healing while they laid on the couch, would you be disappointed? And um, she said, no, of course not. And she said, but I know God is yeah. because of what she's been taught by the church. Well, so what I see is like our relationship with him you know, can get so destroyed, basically. And she kept saying, I can't trust him. Okay, so there's a relationship gets so destroyed when we believe that um, we have to do these things to please him and we have to make sure that we do this or that. Because we all know that the moment we don't, and we think he's disappointed, you don't want to be close to someone that you right. feel like is disappointed in you. Right. So there's a real underside to that thing of where it breaks our relationship with God, mm -hmm. you know, to where you wouldn't want to be close with him because you're never going to measure up in that season. Right. And when you're not measuring up, you don't want to be snuggling up. Yeah, right. Don't measure up, don't snuggle up. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, can, words. I can identify with Cindy, I, you know, the first six months, um, I would call it like we were eating from the tree of um, life, life, and not anymore from good and evil. Mm -hmm. And then, then you go into and here's the rules, and now you're into the tree of good and evil. Right. I think I said this last week. A friend, um, we were talking about the trees, and he said, "Billy, God is a just God. I've, you, you've heard this. We've all heard it. He's a just God." And he has weight. He's weighing. Right. right. And you better have your scales right. right? And I said, um, I said, no, uh, his judgment was already given to us. You know, and he said, he got angry and said, Billy, wait a minute. If someone killed the dearest person, your son, tortured and killed him, you wouldn't want to see justice? You don't think God wants to see justice for that? I said, um, um, would there be justice if they let me, they caught him, and let me pull the handle and watch him fry? Would I feel justified? He didn't say anything. I said, no. The only justification I could feel and know is my son is alive. Even though he died, he lives. That's justification. So it, you know, and I walked away. He, he, they were stunned. I was stunned. <laughs> you know, that was the Holy Spirit. I'm not that smart. Yeah. You know, I mean? <laughs> that was like, wow, Father, I'm eating from the tree of life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. right. Beautiful. Yeah. Mm. Amen. Amen. Okay. I think we'll quit here. Unless anybody has any other thoughts. No more online. Tell everybody thank you. We've enjoyed them. Or I guess I can tell them thank you. We've enjoyed them. <laughs> You don't need to type it. I got it. <laughs> Thank you. This was great. Thank, Thank you, you all. Thank you all. Maybe maybe I'll do it again, and maybe we'll start with verse 6. And yeah. maybe we'll <laughs>
We'll need a review of one through five. Yes, go ahead. Glory to God. Glory to God. Amen. And as I started out with, if you haven't seen Greg's uh, message from the conference, boy, go look at that. It is absolutely spectacular. So thank you all. Have a great week. We'll see you at Bible studies whenever you want. Show up. Wednesday night. Wednesday night. How do we get to the message? It's on Facebook and YouTube. Okay.